How many remember? I got to remember to stand still. I'm sorry. Already running halfway down the aisle. I know maybe you guys don't mind, but the media people already eyeballing me in the back. So I'm going to stand here for three minutes, and then I'm going to move, and so we'll call it good from there. Anyway, two weeks ago, I preached a message. It wasn't even three minutes, was it? Uh, two weeks ago, I taught a message about the very love that compelled us to come to Christ should be very, the very thing that drives us to go. Amen? How many remember that? Three of you, awesome. Praise the Lord. No, I'm kidding. You know, I was praying this morning, and if you remember in that message, we talked about in Matthew uh, 14, the story of Peter, right? And I kinda, I'm kind of hard on uh, Pastor Chris, who was here several weeks ago from Shawnee Alliance, and he was pretty hard on Peter, and I told him that later in a text message, but I kind of like, we really respect Peter in the Bible. In a lot of ways, I identify with him personally. Like, you know, we hear a lot of things that Peter did that were wrong. But I want to read this story. And this is not where we're going to stay today. So this is just kind of a, uh, a refresher. Um, we're really going to be talking about the Christ life today. And if you're taking notes, my notes aren't in the app. I don't let them do that. So if you, if you saw my notes inside the church app, you'd be like, what the world is this? Looks like a doctor wrote it or something and wouldn't make much sense to most of you. But I want to read this again out of Matthew 14, and we're going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, immediately after this, so if you don't know the story, immediately after this is they fed the 5,000, right? The miracle has happened. So they just witnessed a miracle, right? They literally just witnessed a miracle. But Jesus insisted then that his disciples get back into the boat and they cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And then after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Well, night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble. What were they? Now I know, last time I mentioned this, I don't know about you guys, and I don't know why this happened to me, but when I read this story, and I don't know who I was sharing this with, but I literally got this picture for some reason that the disciples were out on a boat, right? Yeah, I know I read that it got stormy, right? But for some reason, when it gets to the point in the story where they see Jesus, for some reason, I don't know, I just pictured Peter getting out of a boat and cute little duckies floating on the pond. Oh, that's sweet. And then Peter getting out and going and walking, right? I don't know why. But you know, that's nothing, that's not even true. So I don't know why my mind went there, right? I have no idea. But night fell when he was there. But meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble because they were far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. You remember my story about being in a kayak out in the Gulf of Mexico. If you don't there and you weren't there, I'll give you the Reader's Digestion of the story. Digestion? Did I just say that? Reader's Digest version of the story. Our family went on vacation. My son, God bless him, he's not over there at the moment, decided to rent some kayaks. By the way, from the shore, it looks super peaceful. Yellow flags waving, a few waves glistening the the awesome teal blue waters of the Gulf of Mexico just lapping up on the shores of Fort Walton Beach. 
So we head out, we get past the break, and as soon as we get past the break, all of a sudden I start to feel this. And so I can't really go all the way down anymore because I'm 51 years old, but it felt like. So what seemed to be from the shore, oh, those are just like one or two foot waves. They were more like six, eight, and our boat is just going like this, you know? I'm glad I don't get seasick, but if you are that person, you would be getting seasick. We're just rolling with these waves out there and they're beating us up. And I, I start to get the sense of maybe what the disciples were starting to feel like, this is not good and we couldn't, the tide and the rip current were so crazy that we couldn't really move. And I was paddling my brains out and I'm just like, we just gotta go back in. And so we did make it back in. And But the crazy thing was, is this says that the disciples were in trouble and they were far away from land because a strong wind had risen. And so, and they were fighting these heavy waves. And it was three o'clock in the morning, so it's dark. And this figure starts walking to them. Now, I want you to close your eyes for a second and just imagine, it's three o'clock in the morning. You talk about the ocean, it's dark out there, people. There's not a lot of street lights out there the last time I checked. It's dark. It's three o'clock in the morning. And when you look on the horizon, you think you see a person walking on the water. Now, I'm not sure, but I don't know that it's ever been recorded in history before this, that anybody's ever seen anybody walk on water. So you can imagine right now, you can open your eyes, by the way, I won't make you keep them closed the whole time, that they saw Jesus as he was coming toward them, walking on the water. And may I paraphrase for a minute? They thought it was a ghost, but let's just be real. They freaked out. They were terrified. That's what the word God says. So I know I'm paraphrasing, but they were terrified. But listen to what it says, right? They think it's, they cried out actually. Listen to that part. It says that they cried out. It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, do not be afraid and take courage. I'm here. So this is where the part of the story from the last time gets really cool as a reminder. How many people were in that boat? By the way, you wonder why I'm looking back in the back. You can't see it real well because somebody decided to build a drum room and cage the drummer in, right? Because he beats louder than anybody we know. <laughs> he breaks sticks all the time. But I was teaching, I didn't even know it, and Elder Melissa came up to me after I got done teaching and she pointed to the back wall. So I don't know if you can see that back wall. For those of you that can't see it online, maybe, looks like there's a boat on water and there's disciples in it. Looks like Peter's already out of the water, but look how many people were still in the boat. It's a ghost, but Jesus spoke to them and once said, don't be afraid, take courage, then I'm here. But this is what I love about Peter. It says, Peter called out to the Lord, said, is that really you? Like still questioning, right? Is that really you, God? And if it is, tell me to come. So you guys know the rest of the story. What happened? He walked on the water, hitting harder. I love Stella. Like, hello. Like this is third grade material. <laughs> he did. We'll get there. He did. 
But in that moment, Jesus, he said, Jesus, if that is you, tell me to come. And what, what did Peter do? Now listen, I want to remind you, look back at the boat, how many people are in the boat? There's a lot of people in that boat. And Peter is grabbing hold of his boat. I wish I had a boat. I don't know. He grabs hold of the side of that thing. Hear me now. There's people in the boat that are saying, boy, what you about to do? Do you not see the winds? Do you not see the waves? You're crazy. Gets his leg up. Son, what you, you know, you can hear it. You can hear the echoes in the boat. Like, what are you doing? But back to that moment, why did, why did Peter ever even get out of the boat? Why in the world would he leave that safety net? Why? Woo! Well, I'm gonna back up because Jesus spoke and he knew Jesus and he had a relationship with Jesus. And that whole thing, by the way, when, when Jesus told Peter to come and he got out of the boat, even amongst the whispers probably of all his buddies telling him, you're crazy. What was he really walking on? And one more thing, obedience. Jesus told him to come. I'm declaring to you that Peter was, yeah, physically walking on water, but he was walking in the obedience because Jesus said, come, Peter. And he came. Then we get to the point. Now, how many of you ever read this story and it's like, man, I can't believe that. But there's truth. Because immediately after this, that was the first phrase that we read in that scripture from Matthew. Immediately after this, he sent them away. What was that immediately after what? Just seeing a miracle. You got five loaves and a few fishes, and you feed 5,000 people. Something amazing happened. But in the midst of the storm, Peter lost sight of what had just occurred, and he was overwhelmed by his circumstances. Overwhelmed. But nonetheless, he still said, I'm willing to get out of this boat on these crazy waves and step out in obedience. But yet, I don't know how far he got. It doesn't say. I don't know how far Jesus was away from the boat. Close enough to see it was Jesus. Close enough to hear his voice. But all of a sudden, Peter sank. Can you believe that? That rascally old dog started to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus, right? We all know this story. I'm like that. It's easy for me to read this story, however, I can't believe him. Like, man, he just saw a miracle. He's actually a living miracle. He's just walking on water. You know, Jesus, you know, all of a sudden I see the storm, you know, and it's drowning and I'm sinking. And this is where old Pete gets a, pardon me, I don't really have a good enough relationship with probably calling Peter. But this is where Peter gets, I feel like a bad rap because it's so easy to identify in this story, but not really be Peter. How could you do that, Peter? Well, let me just tell you, 
There's been times in my life when I've lost sight of Jesus and I started to sink. But I love what Peter did. And I don't know why I'm talking about this. I just literally threw this in this morning. But I love what Peter did immediately when he started to sink. Because what would any of you do in these crazy waves? By the way, had anybody watched Facebook? How many have got a Facebook account? Don't you lie to me. I see, you're all friends with me. <laughs> I see you. But how many saw when the storms kicked up a couple weeks ago and the waves just bashing in on Lake Erie? Did you see that? How crazy that was up there? Man, I've been up there, by the way, crossed over that little pond over to Putin Bay. And if that would have been why I was on a boat, I've been rethinking that journey. I want my money back, Miller Ferry Line. <laughs> but what does he do? What does Peter do? He does the same thing that probably all of us would do. What did he do? He cried out, help! I'm gonna die! Like we laugh about it and it's fun to see it here, but in real life, you know, Brother Frank a couple weeks ago said he wouldn't even get out of that kayak. Anybody remember why? He wouldn't even go out on the kayak shark, right? He ain't doing that. But Peter had the wherewithal to do what? To cry out. Now, I know in the end, Jesus kind of corrects him, like, why did you even doubt, dude, right? That's what Jesus is saying. Why did you doubt? You just fed the 5,000, put you on a boat, you know? He had such little faith. But in a moment, he had some faith. And I want to leave you with this thought before we move on today. When Jesus called Peter out of that boat, and actually, Peter asked to come out of the boat, so I want you to remember that. Peter asked to come out of the boat in the midst of the storm. Do you suppose Jesus knew Peter was gonna sink? And he called him anyway. You see, sometimes it's, we're so hard on ourselves so hard on ourselves and it's easy to be hard on Peter but Peter always rebounded whether he was lopping somebody's ear off sinking in the ocean doing a lot of things that probably honestly if you can identify with Peter that's me I probably would have done that not braggingly but just real being real anyway I don't know why I shared that. I just felt like I was supposed to this morning. So anyway, as you know, Pastor Damien's been talking about the Christ life, so we're gonna switch gears here. Everybody say the Christ life. I'm not good at labeling sermons or messages or teachings or whatever you usually call these things you do when you stand up here in front of people and look at you, wonderful, amazing people. But anyway, my subtitle, I wanted to stay in this vein of what he was talking about. By the way, on Wednesday nights, we have a Bible study here. We've been studying Romans 7 and 8, and on Wednesday we raced through Romans 7 a bit, uh, but we had some amazing discussions. So I want to personally invite you to this Wednesday at 7 p.m. to read Romans 8. So that's your homework after today is to read Romans 8. Show up at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, and we're going to get that 
here's the thing, is no, we had a big circle. Pastor wasn't standing up on the stage, it was just this big old circle and it was big because there were a lot of people here. And we just sat in a circle and we started reading it and talking about it and uh, asking questions and people bringing what they felt like it probably meant to certain things and it was really amazing. So if you got your Bibles this morning, we're gonna turn quickly to Romans 7. We're not gonna read all of Romans 7 this morning, but we're gonna read the first four. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law don't know that the law applies only while a person is living. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who raised from the dead. And as a result, get this point, saints of God, as a result, we can produce a harvest, how much? Of good deeds. Now, I know we've got some amazing gardeners. Is there anybody in here that likes to garden? Angie Dove, yes. The Newsoms, anybody, Elder Melissa, God bless you. Anybody else? How many like to get stuff from other people who garden? <laughs> you like to garden? <laughs> I love to get stuff. Here's the thing about gardens for me. I gotta be real, like the thought of it sounds amazing. I would love to get out there and borrow somebody's rototiller because I don't have one. Get that land, the thing shake you around. Like I know maybe they don't do that anymore, but the ones I've ever seen just beat you up pretty bad, right? Get the soil going right in there. You get it all ready and prepared and all the junk out of there and you're, you're ready to plant seeds. Like, you know, and then you gotta wait. You gotta water and you gotta wait. Now, I consider myself to be a fairly patient person, but it's a long wait. And then the weeds come. I mean, I don't have time to go out there, let's be real, and pull weeds. So I'm not sure at the end of the time when you could actually pick tomatoes or cucumbers, I wouldn't plant any of that stuff because I don't like most of it. I'd have to give it away. But I don't know that you could recognize the tomato plant and the weeds because I just don't have the patience and I would give up. But here's the thing that I love about this. When you ask Jesus into your life, you're no longer surrendered yourself to the law and it's no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master. And so you're thinking about this and so, I don't know, I need to pick on somebody this morning. I can't pick on myself because it just won't work. So 
need a husband and a wife that can stand. Oh, perfect, right there, my focus just went, and Stella's freaking out. So I need to borrow you two, just real quick, if I may. Stella's like, I didn't sign up for this, Pastor Jim. Amen, let's give him a hand. You guys have been married a while. How, how, I'm, gonna ask, I'm gonna ask the wife. A long time. <laughs> How long is a long time? In October, be 40 years. Are you guys even 40 years old? <laughs> okay. I didn't see your video. But now I'm, now I'm curious. But anyway, I have a lovely couple, been married 40 years. Probably had a lot of chance to communicate and practice and learn how to love one another, right? And you know her voice, you know her demeanor, her personality. Now I know that we wouldn't say this, she's not your master, but you still listen to her, right? Gotcha. All right. I'm not always that good. And likewise, he's not your master in the sense of how we are using that word in this sense. You still listen to him, right? All right. 40 years. And can we give them another hand? Amen. All right. But in this moment, we have this person, by the way, everybody, this is Abby. Say hi, Abby. Now, Stella's probably told you to mow the lawn. Hey, or could you mow the lawn? Would you mow the lawn? Because I know how much you love to mow the lawn, right? I know he does. I, I, would, I don't. That's why I'm... But if Abby came in and started telling you to do some things, that would look strange, right? To allow something else to come into your house and start speaking to you. And I think you can all see where I'm going. If this is the redeemed life and a picture of what life looks like, right? But this is the old life and the sinful nature. It doesn't have any right to even talk to you anymore. And by the way, if she's in your house, she's trespassing. So thank you guys. You can sit down, let's give them a hand. I was wondering this morning, and you'll have to forgive me, two things I don't like. I love my iPad, but I don't like it for preaching. Save a tree, they said, Jim, use your iPad. When I got up this morning, I thought to myself, my trip to church is gonna be shorter this morning because Cupie is closed. Let me, let me tell you, I'm very proud of those people for shutting their doors on Sunday, so this is not a complaint. But normally I would head to the Kibbe and I would go that way and then I would come back. But isn't it funny, I rolled out of my driveway and I could just feel Holy Spirit. And I got to Kibbe Street and I started to turn right and he asked me to do something this morning. And it's sure something that's... Uh, Tough to talk about for me, um, a time in my life that I'm certainly not proud about, but obviously Holy Spirit wants me to say it for one reason or the other. 
but we're talking about the Christ life and we have a choice to make. And the example here that we had is we wouldn't let another person come into our house and begin whispering things to us. But if we can be real, that's what happens so many times. And we find ourselves sinking like Peter did. And so there was a time in my life, I was married to my beautiful wife. If you don't know, she's the lovely person in the brand new blue and white shirt from Gabe's shopping. We love Gabe's. Anyway, um, I don't even remember at this point, and it's not really relevant how many kids we had or if all the kids were born. And uh, Really nothing wrong with our relationship. Um, but I got to that point where I began to believe the lies of the enemy and it had to do with my identity and I'm not gonna go into that story, but I believed the lie and I traded it. Here you go. Devil, you can have the truth that I'm a son of God and I believe that I'm no longer worthy to live this life or walk it out. And after I trade, made that trade, I found myself in a very dark place. And so, sorry, I'm just kind of looking around to see who's in the room. At one point, I found myself at a computer desk in our living room. And so if you can imagine, living room and this is a corner and I'm just sitting there and uh, sat down at the computer and by the way it didn't start here clicked on the internet and you can imagine where I'm going with this wasn't sure I thought everybody was outside of the house clicked on a Website brought up some pictures. Pictures that a loving, godly man should not be looking at. And all of a sudden, I hear this loud scream. What in the world are you doing? And rightfully so. As you can imagine, I was taken back. And then reeling because that loud voice then ran upstairs, uh, proceeded to pack a bag and grab the kids. And all I can remember in that moment is begging, begging her not to leave. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit because this is Stacy's testimony in this part of this story. Is while she was probably, I don't know, 20, 30 feet away from the door with the kids in tow. Somehow in the midst of all that pain, she was still willing and could hear the Holy Spirit. He could tell her, you're not leaving. I can't imagine at that moment, what she was all going through. But the thing is, is like I said, that day in the living room, it didn't start there. And sometimes in life, you can find yourself on a journey that you could have never imagined that you would have been on. 
I'd served in so many capacities in the church, but yet found myself intertwined in the carnal life. And looking back on it now, like, where did it go wrong, Jim? Where did it go wrong? Well, it went wrong because I lost my first love. Not Stacy, not my first earthly love, but I lost the first love of the Father. You see, the Christ life is born out of a love relationship with Christ, but it's also fueled. If you don't get anything out of this today, listen to this. If you wanna try to live a godly life and walk like Jesus walked on this earth, you have to be in love with him. It starts there because that's how he started it with us. He went to the cross and he died for you and for me, and that's where it starts. But that very thing that compels us is the very thing that fuels us to keep walking the Christ life. But when you lay those things down and you fall out of love with Jesus and you're not worshiping anymore and you're not in the word, there's no way in the world that you'll ever be a water walker. You'll never get out of the boat. You'll never get out of the boat. But even in that moment, I felt like, I'll get out of the boat, but I sank. I sank in my sin. And I would love to tell you, that day I cried out, everything was fine. Well, that's not the truth. It was a struggle, and it was a journey for me to get free from that thing. But I knew the only way to get free from that thing, because there were times later I fell. It wasn't an overnight rescue and Jim's fine. Here's the thing, and this is hard to talk about, guys. You know, as a pastor standing before you, this is not easy to talk about. But listen, I know I'm not the only guy in here or the only person in here that's dealt with things like this. That's probably why the Holy Spirit's bringing it out. But you see, that life of living in sin wasn't pleasing to God, obviously. And we know that but I had let it become my master. Now, can you serve two masters? If there were only some scripture verses about that or something. <laughs> you can't do it, right? You just can't do it. You're either gonna follow one or the other. And by the way, there's, yeah, an old Indian fable, right? About the black wolf and the white wolf. Which one's gonna live? Simple. Whichever one you feed the most. Sounds silly, but it's the truth. And it was the truth for me. I had to learn to fall back in love with Jesus again. I had to learn. Devil, you're a liar. And sin, you're not my master. I may stumble, I may fall, but you don't own me. You do not own me. Jesus owns me. Jesus owns me. And so from that point on, there came this awesome deliverance uh, into my life. And by the way, that's the first time I've ever said that in public. So I don't need any sympathy, but I'm just like, I was super nervous when Holy Spirit, like, I want you to share that this morning. Yeah, I couldn't even get the words out to tell him no, but.
The subtitle to my message, though, this morning, we're talking about those things, is really, you know me and my whole thing this year where I feel like God has me and, and to encourage you guys is about the one. And so how does the Christ life intertwine with the Great Commission and going out? And so my subtitle this morning was, is your life is a smorgasbord. Everybody say smorgasbord. Now, how many of you even know what that is, right? We don't say that word. So my life is a buffet, right? Your life is a buffet at the table of life. And after that is a question. How's your fruit? How many here do shopping? A lot of guys in here do grocery shopping. Oh, sorry. How many of you do grocery shopping? We got a lot of guys, and that's impressive. My wife will not let me grocery shop. Just saying. She sends me with a list of great things to make for supper, and I come home with ding-dongs, you know? I don't... They were 10 for 10. John 15. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn there. But back to the subtitle real quick while you're turning there and finding that. Your life is a buffet at the table of life. But somebody's asking the question, how's your fruit? John 15, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, so if you're using your phone or a tablet this morning, you can flip your version. If not, just read along on the screen. I am the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a great harvest. Now, he cares for the branches. What does he do? Everything's born out of love. And he cares for the branches. Who are the branches? And he connects them to me by lifting up and propping up the fruitless stuff and pruning. Not one, not one amen. And pruning every fruitful branch to even yield a greater harvest. Understand one thing it's saying there, you might already be, be producing fruit. Great job. But God might bring the shears like, there's more in you. There's more in you. So he prunes you. Like, I don't know how they do that. I'm not a vineyard person or a gardener. You already know that. But I do understand that it is fruitful to prune those things, and they do end up bearing more fruit, right? A great harvest. But I want to go back, so don't lose your place, but I'm just going to remind you real quick at the end of Romans 7 in verse 4. And now you have been united with the one who was raised from the dead. But as a result, because of our union with him, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. The word, so we're going to go back to John 15. I know we're flipping back and forth, but listen. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. 
So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you are the branches. As you live in the union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If, you're, if a person is gathered up, and thrown into the fire to be burned. I'm sorry. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded, such as branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are mature disciples who glorify my Father. Sounds like the Christ life to me. The greatest love that Christ ever displayed for us was where? And how many of you that have been here for a little while remember a couple months ago, pastor talking about a series of messages called the cross, the table, and the bridge? Amen? So he's talking about the Christ life right now. And the only way to put your fruit on a display in a manner that looks appealing. So I asked a question a little bit ago, who goes shopping? We corrected it with grocery shopping. Now, when you get to the store and there is a Gaylord or a pallet, so a Gaylord's a big box, guys. And it's full of watermelon. Who doesn't love watermelon? It's summertime. How in the world are you supposed to pick a ripe one? No, you've all got wisdom. I can hear you. I can hear the. Well, you do this, Jim. You knock on it. I don't know. I'm a drummer. I know good tone. Sounds like B flat. That one's no good. I don't. Well, if it's got this bottom part and it's yellow and striped, then it's right. That's what they say, right? Isn't that right? There's a saying that. On the bottom, if it's yellow and striped, then it's ripe. Everybody say it. On the bottom, if it's yellow and striped, then you know it's ripe, right? I'm pretty sure we got one that was yellow the other day and striped, and it was not ripe. And on another note, do not put mustard on your watermelon. We'll leave that there. And by the way, if you're laughing, I know you're on TikTok. Or Facebook. But your life is a smorgasbord, people. You've been to the fruit stands, you wouldn't dare pick up a rotten tomato to take it home, right? Sister Dinah cooks on a boat. She wouldn't dare serve rotten salad to the men. Now, they're probably not really enthralled if we can be honest that she's got a salad bar to begin with, right? Let's be truthful. But nonetheless, she wouldn't give them rotten stuff because they really wouldn't like that. But when we're in the carnal life or we're living in sin, what's at the table? You see, you're the table. I'm the table. The God in me is the table. And there's fruit there. 
But what fruit is on display at your table? When you're driving down the road, now I know none of you do this here at New Life, ever, but when you're driving down the road early in the morning and you're going to get your coffee, and you haven't had any yet, it's a beautiful sunshiny morning, you're driving down Elm Street, and all you can think is, this is a glorious, what are you doing? Are you stupid? Get out of the way. Nobody would dare do that. What kind of fruit was that? <laughs> now listen, guys. I know we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But the world is always watching your table. You know, we talk about fruit and we talk about the fruits of the Spirit and the things of that, but listen, when you're born again and you're full of the power of the Holy Spirit, then the fruits of the Spirit should be on display in your life. You may not know what that is because sometimes I forget what they all are. I'm just gonna be honest. But I want you to read this out of Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you, where is he? All right. The fruit of the, produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expression. Is there any one tomato the same? Then don't get mad because your tomato don't look like mine. Don't be jealous about my tomato, and guess what? I'm not gonna be jealous about yours. There's no time for that in the kingdom. We're all doing the same thing and the same work. Congratulations on your giant tomato. Way to go. Did you use miracle Grow for that? No, you used the fruit of the Spirit, right? But I love that divine love that's within you in all of its varied expression. So listen how the Passion Translation says this. Joy that... How many are joyful and it just overflows? All the time. How many of you know somebody? <laughs> I know we have our days, but that should be us guys. Maybe not all the time, I get it, because they're looking at you, what you're doing in the hard things. I get it. But it's joy that overflows, right? And peace that subdues. Patience that And I love this one, kindness. Oh, the fruits of the Spirit are working, right? The kindness and action, movement. A life full of virtue, Faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, or they are meant to be limitless. That's what I love at this table. When you go to the table of Jesus and you're full and somebody takes something from your table, guess what? It's fine. You're not going to run out because Jesus doesn't run out. There's always more at the table. But the question is, is the only way to have those things alive and active is if we've surrendered ourselves and we've entered into this intimate relationship with Jesus. And guys, by the way, I'm 51 years old, in case anybody was wondering, thank you for thinking that I look like I'm 29. My youngest daughter has begging me to dye my hair. 
I've done that before, by the way. I'm like, no, honey, I'm not doing that. But I'm 51 years old, guys. I'm just going to share a little bit about my personality before we close this thing down. How many know a couple years ago you ever saw that thing? It was floating around on TV. It might have been a commercial. I'm not really sure. But there was this thing floating around called the easy button. Anybody ever seen it? I actually had one on my desk one time. This gray thing that had a big red button on it. And it just said easy. Slam it. So people would walk into my office and something would get hard. I would slam that big button. Just make it everything went easy from then forth. My magic easy button. But being 51 years old and serving Christ for a long time, I have searched endlessly. So if you're still searching, take the wisdom of Pastor Jim. The easy button doesn't work. It has failed me time and time again. But here's one thing that has never failed me, and it's this. What does this have to do with the easy button? Guys, here's the real thing. I hate to read. Ooh, not good to know. Pastor Jim doesn't like to read. He doesn't, but Pastor Jim still reads. Because he knows that when he reads this, I'm walking the Christ life. And that road leads to success. When I don't read this, it leads to that place in my living room, in the dark corner, where none of us want to be found. And God's gentle and he's kind. And Pastor talked about this on Wednesday in the Bible study. God is gentle and kind, but he's always wanting to get you where he knows you can go. And so whatever he needs to do in order to do that, he will even at the expense of exposing you. Amen? But listen, you guys are a big old buffet. Before the world. And so we've been talking about fruit and the fruits of the Spirit. But sometimes that fruit that's on your table looks like hope to somebody who's hopeless. And you have a story to tell them. And I want to, I don't have permission. I don't even know if he's awake. I, I want permission, Brother Mel, to tell a story. Can I tell a story about you? <laughs> he's like, what are you going to tell? <laughs> yeah, which one? I heard this story the other day, and I was so moved by the power of the Christ life. And how sometimes in life, we would have never chose a circumstance. I would have never chose to be caught in that living room. But I'm a changed person. So, Brother Mel told this story the other day, and forgive me if I don't get everything right, Mel. But he told a story of when he was a younger man, and he had kids, and he was raising them. One day his wife came to him. He said, I don't want to be your wife anymore. And I don't want to be a mother 
for these kids. And she up and left. Now, I'm not gonna stand here and pretend I know what that feels like, and I can't imagine, but I can probably almost guess that if God told him that he was gonna have to go through that, he would probably have had some serious questions. Like, really, Lord? But he endured it. And so, you can imagine the testimony and the story that goes on and on, but for the sake of time, we're gonna hyperdrive into fast forward here. And so, if you don't know, Mel's son loves racing. Cody races uh, sprint cars, and they were living in a place that not room to really work on it, and just. And so Mel and Cody just started praying about it, and miraculously, a house pops up on the market. They go look at it. Long story short, they end up getting this house, right? And it's perfect. Got a place to work on race cars and. But anyway, they move into this neighborhood and Mel's outdoor one day and he hears the neighbor kids creating a ruckus and uh, can just hear some stuff that's going on over there and it, it leads him to go over and talk to the kids and talk to the dad. And so as he begins to get to know the dad and he has this conversation with the dad, would you dare to believe that that dad was Mel, only 25 years later. This gentleman's wife had left and said, I don't wanna be a wife and I don't wanna be a mother. And he's there with all these kids. But guess where Mel is? Right across the street. And here's the smorgasbord on display of all this fruit that this man lives and that this neighbor just keeps taking more. Mel's like, help yourself. Table's full. Mel's invited him to church, talked to him about the Lord. <laughs> this is what amazed me about Mel. And you can understand probably this guy's apprehensiveness, but nonetheless, I love it about Mel because it talks about like just being so Christ-like. That he's like, hey man, listen, he can't come to church on Sunday, right? So the gentleman that he's, is his neighbor, he can't come on Sundays because he's gotta work. But he's like, man, I would love to go to church with you on Sundays and I'd love my kids to go. And Mel's like, bro, I'll come over and get your kids at six o'clock in the morning. Six o'clock in the morning, you're gonna go get somebody else's kids. I don't even wanna wake my own kids at six o'clock in the morning. What's about to happen? They're going to church. No. I'll come get your kids, I'll take them to church, man, and whenever you get home from work, you know, they can come back home and be glad to do that. But you see, when we're living the Christ life, it enables us to put out this buffet before the world. And somebody that's hopeless and broken can come and eat of your table. But unless you're living the Christ life, you're never, your table is never gonna get out of the boat. <laughs> because how many of those people in the boat said, man, I wish I would've got out? 
even when he sank. And I wish that would have been me. And even in the midst of that, all the chaos and the talking, you see, boat talkers, they're never water walkers. But you know what? You were designed to walk on the water. Even in the storm. Even when it was hard to go through and have to live through that and work through all the mental stuff of your wife leaving and you're a single dad and you're trying to make ends meet. Only to find out at the end of the day when God gives you a glorious blessing, it's right across from a table assignment. A table assignment. I love that. I love that Mel would do that, you know, and I, I, I drove down the road the other day. So I'm driving down this road. What's this road help me? Somebody, Elizabeth. I'm gonna get right in front of this thing. I'm not gonna do that. But I'm driving down the road. Everybody knows Troy and Linda, right? Everybody say hi. We're finishing up so you can go home and eat your pot roast or whatever you're eating, hamburgers on the grill. But listen, I'm driving down. And I know where they live, right? How many know where they live? How many of you seen what's on their door lately? What's on your door? Our story for his glory on a big poster board. This is what the surrendered Christ life does. And the thing is, is as we live this life, it just makes us ready to run the Great Commission and we're full of the Holy Spirit. We're empowered then to do it. You're empowered to live it out. I thought, oh, this Christ life is hard. And guess what? Sometimes it's hard. But I'm empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit and the promise that just when Jesus commanded them to get it and go to the other side, I know I'm gonna make it to the other side because he told me to come. He bid me to come to himself. And just as we sang in that song today, failure's never final when the Father's in the room. When you're living the Christ life, failure is never final. And by the way, that stuff doesn't get to define you. Anything in your past doesn't have permission to define you anymore. It doesn't have permission. So don't take the truth that you're forgiven that you're righteous and you're holy. And how many love the fact that the Christ life makes us righteous and holy and we don't have to, in a sense, really do anything about it initially? You're righteous because he made you righteous. I'm holy because he made me holy. I'm not holy because I read my Bible. My Bible helps make me holy. But that's not why I'm holy. I'm not righteous because I do a lot of righteous looking stuff. I'm righteous because Jesus said I am. And that's what should propel you, these things of the truth and the love of God for you to live this life that Pastor Damien is talking about, the Christ life. And that's how you don't ever have to worry about your smorgasbord, what's on your table. Because when you're in the Christ life, it's all good. When you're in the Holy Spirit, it's all good. And don't you find it quote unquote ironic that what's on your table, somebody walks up in your life and needs. 
That's not irony. That's the power and the destiny of God working through you and in you for a greater purpose that's even outside of yourself. And this is what we're talking about, the one. What good is to take all this information and keep it to ourselves? What good is it? You may be falling apart, and this is one of the, in closing, the biggest tricks of the enemy is, you're too busy working on yourself. You don't have time to tell anybody about me. You're a mess. That's the biggest lie. Get yourself fixed up. Get yourself straight. Get yourself totally right before you put yourself on display. Well, who said that? Did Jesus say that? Did Jesus say that? He knew Peter was going to fall even before he called him out of the boat, but he called him anyway. He's calling you anyway. Do you not think he doesn't know my stinky mess? But he called me anyway, just like he's calling you. Do not let that lie keep you from really walking out the Christ life and putting your table on display. Amen? God, I thank you for this word today. God, whatever that you intended to do through it, God, you do it right now. But I thank you, Lord, for your great love that you have bestowed and given to all of us. May we be like David, God, that when we sin, we're quick to repent. We're always quick to come back to live that Christ life. And God, we understand there may not be any easy button, but when we do it your way, it becomes way easier than trying to do it on our own. So God, I thank you that you've equipped us, you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to walk this, and I thank you that you've given us all the fruits of the Spirit are on display in the lives of all these people. God, I thank you that we don't have to be perfect today, but we wanna be just like you. We surrender our hearts to you, God, because that's when our our lives will look just like yours in a lot of ways. And in the end, that life will end up being the very thing at a table that somebody needs. 